Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. I just got an email this week from YouTube. And as you know, YouTube has been cracking down on what they consider to be hate speech. And here's what the email said. Hi, Cross-Examined. By the way, uh, for those of you that have not subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do. We have over 500 videos up there now. Most of them are short Q&A videos from the college campus. I found that if you send somebody a 40-minute video, they won't watch it. But if you send them a four-minute video, a four-minute Q&A video, they will watch it. And that's why these videos have have been relatively successful on YouTube because people will watch short videos that get to the point quickly. And as you know, that's what we try and do on a college campus. We try and deal with the most difficult objections that people bring up and try and give a short, quick answer to it. Now, can we give a complete answer? Of course we can't, but we give, give them a nugget or give them some sort of, of, uh, insight that may answer the gist of their question. I love what John Lennox says about uh, questions. When people ask him questions, he'll say, well, I can't give you a complete answer here, but I can give you a doorway to an answer. And that's what we try and do. We try and give them the most essential uh, response to their question, even though there may be many other things we could say. In any event, all these view- all these videos are up there. And if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, you'll see them. And uh, if you subscribe for our email once a week, we send one email a week with a new video in there, a new Q&A video. You can get these Q&A videos. Anyway, this uh, YouTube just sent me this this week, and it says, as you may know, our community guidelines describe which content we allow and don't allow on YouTube. Your video, they're going to they're gonna pull a video down. Here's, here's the video they're pulling down. Here's the, here's the title of it. David Silverman denies that the Holocaust was objectively wrong. That video they took down. Now, who is David Silverman? David Silverman used to be the president of the American Atheists. And about five years ago, I debated him. And you can see the entire debate. I think it's it's probably up on our Facebook page somewhere. It might be on our it might have, the whole debate might be on our YouTube channel for all I know. But what we did is <laughs> there's 500 of them up there. It probably is. Anyway, um, we we took out a cross-examination section where he and I were asking one another questions. And I kept asking him questions as an atheist. How can you say the Holocaust is wrong? Because if there is no God, everything's just a matter of opinion. It's just your opinion against, say, Hitler's opinion. And after much back and forth over about four to five minutes, he finally admitted that the Holocaust, in his view, was was not objectively wrong. And YouTube took it down. Because David Silverman, the atheist, said that the Holocaust was not objectively wrong. Well, if YouTube is going to take down people who think that there are no objective moral values, they're going to have to take down almost every atheist. (laughs) Because most atheists today 
will try and say there are no objective moral values. Some of them will try and say there are objective moral values, like Sam Harris. He has no grounding for that, but that's what he says. But some of them, like David Silverman, will bite the bullet and say their worldview ensures there is nothing ultimately right or wrong. Now, what I would say to David Silverman is if your worldview of atheism forces you to believe that murdering innocent people isn't really wrong, that the Holocaust wasn't really wrong, you have the wrong worldview. Don't change your very deep and true intuition that murdering people is wrong. Change your worldview that doesn't support that. But no, the atheists would rather <laughs> would rather give up what they know is true that murdering people is wrong in order to keep their atheism. Now, that should tell you something. In any event, it's ironic to me <laughs> that the one video that YouTube is pulling down on our site is an opinion I don't even have. <laughs> it's the atheist that has the opinion that there are no objective moral values. So I, I don't know. We'll, we may contact them and say, hey, this is uh, what the atheist saying. It's not what I'm saying. Now, they still may say, well, we don't want it on there. OK, fine. But do you realize that every atheist who's a materialist, if they're if they're intellectually consistent, has to agree that the Holocaust isn't objectively wrong? That's basically what materialism or materialists will have to say unless they want to be inconsistent. And of course, many times they are now. We've got a lot to discuss uh, here today on uh, on this program. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Cross Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. It's also in podcast, as you know. And if you haven't downloaded our app, you ought to download it. The free app, Cross Examine, two words in the app store, Cross Examine. It not only has all of these podcasts on there, all these radio programs. It also has the TV show streaming live, which airs live on Wednesday nights on DirecTV, channel 378. It also has a quick answer section, which will help you interact with people on the fly right off your phone. It's got many other features on it, and it's free. So download it. It has our calendar on there, all that kind of stuff. And some of these videos that we're talking about are actually up there as well. But I want to, I want to, what I want to talk about today are some of your questions, which I hope to get to later in the program. But I happen to run off uh, or run across a blog of a friend of mine who I've had on the program many years ago. His name is Jay Bujaszewski. It's, it's a mouthful, but Jay is a brilliant, a brilliant a philosopher who teaches at UT Austin, uh, University of Texas at Austin. And he's written a number of wonderful books. One of them is called What We Can't Not Know. This has to do with the, it's, it's sort of like a modern, a modern mere Christianity. It's, he's pointing out that everybody can't uh, can't not know that there are certain objective moral values. Even David, David Silverman knows that, but he denies it. OK, he knows that murdering people is wrong. But in order to keep his atheism, he just said, well, it's not really wrong then. And anyway, Bujashevsky on May 27th, 2019, just last week, had a brilliant little blog. His blogs are very short. His blog is undergroundthomist.org, undergroundthomist.org. And uh, the, the title of this one is Topsy Turvy Land. And here's what he said. Listen to this. It's very insightful. He said, the old sort of liberalism thought that the law should promote good character, but considered it unwise for the law to demand so high a standard that the demand for virtue backfires. This is a very ancient idea, and it is true. Okay. 
All right, now it's me talking. He's pointing out here is, is that you can legislate morality. It's the only thing you can legislate, but you don't want to have a nanny state. You don't want to legislate against everything you deem as evil, just the essentials. You can't force people to have this high demand for virtue. You can prevent them from doing evil, but it's difficult to get them to be virtuous. The primary, the primary reason government is in place is to prevent innocent people from being hurt by evil by evil forces either from inside the country or outside the country this is why paul says in romans 13 that the ruler ruler does not bear the sword for nothing so he's essentially saying we have to legislate moral values that's what the old sort of liberalism says but it can't go too far it can't become the nanny state okay agreed Here's what he says next. The middle sort of liberalism said that the law should repudiate the aspiration to virtue, not even judging what is virtuous and what is not. This is an unstable position which cannot endure because it is logically impossible for the law to suspend all judgment. To make a law is to make a judgment. Indeed, any law makes a judgment. It says certain behaviors are right and the opposite behavior is wrong or a certain behavior is right and the opposite behavior is wrong. Every law imposes a moral position. You can't think of a law which doesn't impose some sort of moral position. Or you could say a law well that says we, we're going to have 100 senators. So that's not a moral position. Well, it is in the sense that if you tried to say we're going to have 101 or one state is going to have three senators rather than two, then it would be a immoral advantage for that state. So there is some sort of moral capacity in that law and you have the moral obligation to obey it. So while not every law while not every law might be strictly moral, your duty to obey it is. Anyway, I'll give you the third thing he says right after the break. You're listening to Cross Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We've got a lot to cover today, so don't go away. We're back in just two minutes. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examined Podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the Donate button, or simply use the Donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. It's summer, ladies and gentlemen, and while that may mean great outdoor fun... It also means CIA, the Cross-Examined Instructor Academy. And this year, we're doing something we've never done. We're going to the Big Apple, New York City, Brooklyn, the Christian Cultural Center right there in Brooklyn. One of the biggest churches in the Northeast is our host. My friend Jamal Bernard is our host there. And uh, we're going to have a great lineup including Greg Kokel, including David Wood, who is an expert on Islam, as you may know. If you don't know about David Wood, just Google him. Go to, In fact, go to, go to YouTube right now and type in David Wood testimony. You'll be amazed. Uh, David Wood will be there as well. One of our instructors, Richard Howe, Brett Kunkel, Elisa uh, uh, Childers, who substituted for me last month here on this program. Ray Siervo, who substituted for me last week. We've got a great lineup. Bobby Conway, Jorge Gill. I'm probably leaving somebody out. Richard Howe. They're, they're all on our website, but you need to sign up or at least apply uh, within the next week or so because the deadline is June 15th. And we can only take maybe 60 people in this. As, as you know, the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy helps you not only learn new material, but more appropriately, or I, I should say our more our bigger emphasis is to teach you how to better present the evidence for Christianity and how to answer questions tactfully and skillfully. So 
you'll not only hear presentations from us, we are going to hear presentations from you and critique you on them. That's why we can only take a small group. This is our 12th annual. It's the first time we're doing it in New York City. So it's going to be a lot of fun up there, but you need to go to crossexamine.org, click on the banner, you'll see that'll come up, or just click on events and go to CIA. You need to apply by June 15th if you want to be considered for this uh, program. So CIA, Cross-Examine Instructor Academy, we only do this once a year. If you want to be a part of this, uh, you need to sign up this week. All right, let me go back to my friend Jay Budziszewski. If you want to know how to spell Budziszewski, don't ask. Now, here it is, B-U-D-Z-I-S. Z-E-W-S-K-I. B-U-D-Z-I-S-Z-E-W-S-K-I. Brilliant gentleman. Has written a number of books, as I mentioned earlier. And he's talking about these three types of literal, uh, liberalism. So he, he talked about, we already read about the old sort, the middle sort. Now, here's the new sort of liberalism that's happening in America and around the world today. Here's what he said. The new sort of liberalism turns the old sort on its head. It insists on a high standard of virtue, but with virtue redefined so that what used to be called virtue is called vice. In the new dictionary, chastity is neurosis, innocence is naive, and admitting to having a moral uh, and admitting to having a moral opinion is bigotry. Although the new liberalism hangs on to the pretense of repudiating moral judgment. It uses it as a cloak for imposing its own perverse moral judgments. That's Jay Budziszewski, ladies and gentlemen. Notice what he's saying here. He's saying that there are some new absolutes that are prevalent in our society today. They replace the old absolutes. And these new absolutes are actually perversions of the true absolutes. In fact, in many cases, they're the exact opposite, but they're put forth as if they're moral, as if they're righteous. You know, it's not, if, 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 if you want to wait to have sex till marriage, you're, you're experiencing some sort of neurosis. Uh, being innocent is naive. If you have a moral opinion about something I'm doing, you're a bigot. See, these are, this is turning true virtue on its head. Now, back in 1997, about the same time Dr. Geisler and I wrote the book uh, Legislating Morality, William Watkins, who I think was a graduate of Dallas uh, Seminary, wrote a book called The New Absolutes. And I, I think you can you can still get this book on Amazon. I think it's still in Kindle anyway. And he's just talking about and this this goes back what 22 years ago, 1997, he wrote this, that there are new absolutes out there. And what are some of the new absolutes? Now, these are not his words. These are my words now. I don't have the book in front of me, but you can just see that there are new absolutes out there. The old absolute was purity. Now it's promiscuity. Uh, the old absolute was humility. Now it's pride. Uh, the old absolute was kindness. Now it's envy. It's class warfare. The old absolute is life. Now it's called choice or reproductive freedom. The old absolute was truth. Now, the new absolute is power, the power of the individual to define reality any way his or her preferred pronoun wants to uh, redefine it or using power to silence those who disagree with you. The old absolute was love. You know what the new absolute is? Tolerance, which I'll, I'll point out the difference here in just a minute. The old absolute was religious freedom. Now it's sexual supremacy. Now you must bow to anybody who has some sort of sexual preference and if you don't agree with that preference, even if you have a religious objection to that moral 
uh, sexual preference another person has, you not only um, can't have that attitude, you can't have that moral principle from your religion or your conscience. If you don't actively celebrate my behavior that I want to have sexually, then you're a bigot and uh, we're going to hurt you for it. Now, notice these new absolutes um, are put forth as if they're moral and right. In other words, everybody's trying to impose a moral point of view. The only question is whose morality will be imposed. Let's talk about one I mentioned earlier. No longer is humility the absolute. Now the new absolute is pride. And C.S. Lewis had a lot to say about pride. In fact, right now, as you know, we're in June and uh, someone designated June as Gay Pride Month. Pride. Hmm. Is pride a good thing? Well, it depends on what you mean by pride, obviously. If you're proud of your son or daughter for doing, say, well in school or or uh, getting through a difficult test ethically or whatever. OK, that 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 kind of pride is OK. But if if pride means that your opinion and the way you want to do things against what God says if that's the kind of pride we're talking about, that's a disaster. In fact, C.S. Lewis, who wrote so profoundly on this, said this in Mere Christianity. He said, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. He went on to say it is pride, which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began, unquote. Now, I defy anybody to refute that because I think that's absolutely true because there's pride in my own heart. There's pride in all of us. We want things our way. I want things my way. And if I don't get it, I'm going to lash out at somebody. I'm going to get angry with them because I want things my way. And to have an entire movement around the word pride should tell you something. If pride means that we're going to do things our way, even when our way is in direct contradiction to nature and what God wants, or it's not really just what God wants, it's based on God's nature, that the design of the human body is such that the kind of sexual intercourse that he has baked into reality is the complementary relationship between a man and a woman, which brings forth children. If we're going to say, no, that's not right. We want to do things our way. That's what you call pride. In fact, Lewis also said this, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And all you need to do is read Romans chapter one, when Paul talks about the fact that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness to go our own way. Everyone does this, but in Romans chapter one, he's talking about unbelievers, but believers do this as well. We often suppress the truth because we want to do our own thing. And then he goes on to talk about that quite frequently, it, this leads to futile thinking, especially when we get involved in sexual sin because it blinds us. And at, by the time you get to the end of Romans chapter one, he's saying that not only do such people 
who have this futile mind now and are doing these evil things, not only do they continue to do evil things, they give hearty approval to others who practice them. In other words, they cheer other people on who are doing evil. And that's what the new absolutes do. They cheer evil on because God has given them up to their own desires. And now that what they think they're doing, they actually think is good. That's why we don't fight against flesh and blood, ladies and gentlemen. We fight against the principalities of darkness because that's what's behind all this. Look, all people are equal, but all behaviors are not equal. In fact, um, the reason we have laws is because all behaviors are not equal. <laughs> you, could, you would have no criminal law if we said all behaviors were equal. So let's talk some more about some of these new absolutes. So let's talk for a second about truth here. Truth has gone away in our culture. Postmodernism is what's ever true for you. There is no overarching truth. Of course, as we pointed out a million times on this show, <laughs> that's self-defeating. It's true. There's no truth. But look, if you don't have truth that you're you're going to adhere to, then all you're going to adhere to is who has the most power. You see, you can't have a debate with somebody about a topic unless you agree that there's a standard of truth external to both of you that you're trying to discover who's closer to. A debate presupposes that one side thinks he or she is closer to that standard of truth than the other. If there is no truth, how could you have a debate? It's just two opinions. But a debate presupposes that there's a standard external to both debaters. And one of them is saying, or both of them are saying, look, I'm closer to that standard than you are. If there is no standard, if there is nothing external to ourselves, if we're just molecules in motion, moist robots, and there is no truth, you can't debate. There's nothing to agree on. All you can do is resort to power. Try and get more power than the other side and impose your will on them. Look, it's either going to be principle or power. Our country and our culture has largely abandoned principle for the sake of power. The power for the individual to define reality any way he or she wants. I don't know if you've heard this, but a couple of years ago when the University of Michigan, I think it was, was... Uh, Talking about preferred pronouns, one student said, my preferred pronoun is your majesty. <laughs> and if you really want to deal with this, that's the way to do it. If somebody asks you what your preferred pronoun is, you say your majesty or your highness. Look, we don't get to define reality for ourselves. We're either going to change our behavior to fit reality, or we're going to run the fool's errand of trying to change reality to fit our behavior. One will lead to fruitfulness. The other leads to disaster. All right, we got a lot more on this and some of your questions when we come back. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in just two minutes. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, 
We don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. By the way, just uh, getting back from Summit... And if you haven't been to Summit, if you're a young person anywhere, high school up through college, you need to go to Summit this year. It's out in Colorado Springs, actually Manitou Springs, right next to Colorado Springs. Great place to go to learn apologetics, philosophy, Christian worldview, Bible for two weeks, and you hang out with people, your peers, you have a lot of fun with. Go to summit.org for more on that. I teach out there a few times a year. You also have people like Jay Warner Wallace teaching out there and Sean McDowell and, and Abdu Murray and so many others, Mike Adams. It's it's a wonderful place to go. And I think they also have uh, some summit sessions this summer, I want to say in Pennsylvania and maybe again, Tennessee. Anyway, go to summit.org to figure out more. You can also go down to our friends at Impact 360. Impact 360 is down just uh, south of Atlanta a little bit. I think they have a summer program just one week or two weeks this year. Either one of those two ministries you'll enjoy if you're a young person, you want to go out there. So we try and promote what other people are doing, and we're part of it sometimes as well. And they're doing some great work at both those places. Summit.org and Impact 360. Check them out. And by the way... Uh, I'm just telling you about this, not because they're paying me to say this. It's just because these are just great ministries, okay? I don't get paid for anything here, by the way. All right, let's go back to uh, what we're talking about here, these new absolutes. I, I talked about a little bit earlier that no longer is love, although people will call it love. It's not really love. No longer is love the absolute. Now it's tolerance, which has come to mean you must celebrate all of my opinions and behaviors. If you don't celebrate everything I want to do, particularly sexually, you're a bigot, you're a homophobe, you're a transphobe, whatever it is. Well, tolerance should never be our absolute. Why? Because tolerance is too weak. Tolerance says hold your nose and put up with them. Love should always be our absolute. Why? Love says reach out and help them. And the way that you love people is not to celebrate everything they want to do. You celebrate the, the good things they want to do. But if they're going to do something that's going to hurt them or others or take them further away from God, you don't celebrate that. You stand in the way of that. I mean, any parent who tolerates everything his or her child wants to do is not a loving parent. You need to stand in the way of evil. Paul says in the passage that is read at every wedding, but nobody seems to obey. <laughs> First Corinthians 13, he says, love always protects Love is not laissez-faire. Love is not do whatever you want to do. Love is not approve of everything somebody wants to do. Love is seeking what's best for the other person, and that involves standing in the way of evil. If you don't stand in the way of evil, you're not loving. You're an enabler. That's called false compassion. Not true compassion. That's false compassion. And tolerance in the face of evil is an evil. Should we have tolerated Hitler? By the way, we're just celebrating the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Should we have tolerated Hitler? No, of course not. That wouldn't be loving. How would it be loving to people who are being murdered by Hitler to tolerate that? You stand in the way of that. And thankfully, the greatest generation stood up. 
I just watched a documentary. I, 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 I'm kind of a, a very interested in World War II and World War I. Any, any kind of global conflict just interests me. And the heroism that was put forth in both of those wars, particularly World War II on D-Day, just interests me. About 2010, I took uh, a couple of my sons to Normandy and many other places over there just to see it all. And uh, it's humbling to know that so many people died trying to liberate the European continent from evil. In fact, I think it was the rough figure was 10,000 people died on the first day of D-Day. June 6th, 1944. And it was such a massive undertaking. Do you know that the Allies tried to get the Germans to think that the attack was coming from somewhere else. Obviously, if they could spread the German forces out, they had a better chance of making a successful landing. Of course, the Germans thought that we were going to come across at Calais, which is the narrowest part of the English Channel from England to France. That's a little bit to the north of Normandy. But we actually tried to send a lot of misinformation the Allies did to the Germans that we might even attack in Norway. It's all the way all the way that far north. And uh, finally, when we agreed that we were going to d to attack about 60 miles of beaches uh, in the area of Normandy, we continued to deploy not only misinformation, but we would put out the allies would put out rubber tanks and rubber guns and plywood planes that from the air looked like real planes, but they weren't real planes they were they were made of wood and it was all to try and increase the chances of success on d-day probably one of the most realistic depictions of any war in film was saving private ryan if you sit through the first 20 minutes of saving private ryan ryan you probably have a very good sense of what the heroes that went ashore on d-day had to face and we had to stand for truth and for goodness and against evil. If we didn't, we wouldn't be loving. So tolerance is not our standard. The new absolute of tolerance isn't the standard. Love should always be the standard for everybody, not just for Christians. And the way that you love people is you stand in the way of evil. So... What about these new absolutes? Well, there are no real new absolutes. The truth is <laughs> absolutes have always been what they are. We may try and invent in our minds new absolutes, but the old absolutes don't really go away. In fact, we say this, and I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Um, here's a, uh, a paragraph from that the chapter called Mother Teresa versus Hitler. Quote, when we say the moral law exists, we mean that all people are impressed with a fundamental sense of right and wrong. Everyone knows, for example, that love is superior to hate and that courage is better than cowardice. University of Texas, Austin, Professor J. Buczewski writes, quote, everyone knows certain principles. There is no land where murder is vice and, and or where murder is virtue and gratitude is vice. Unquote. C.S. Lewis has written profoundly on this topic in his classic work, Mere Christianity. He put it this way, quote, think of a country where people were admired for running away in battle or where a man felt 
proud to double cross or felt proud of double crossing all the people who had been kindest to him. You might as well try to imagine a country where two and two made five, unquote. Indeed, everyone already knows certain principles are right and wrong. The question is, where does that come from? What comes from God's nature? It's written on our hearts. Just knowing it isn't why we why it exists. It exists independent of us knowing it. It exists from God's nature. We wouldn't have this moral law and it wouldn't be objective unless God exists. And we make that case, of course, and I don't have enough faith to be an atheist and also stealing from God. So the idea here is that we're that we're trying to impose some sort of our, uh, or some sort of personal morality that isn't true. Um, in fact, let me back up and say one thing. A couple of weeks ago, we had a, a, a podcast about the Equality Act, the so-called Equality Act. For those of you that listen to that podcast, you know it's not the Equality Act. It shouldn't be called the Equality Act. In fact, the title of the podcast is called The Equality Act Isn't About Equality. If you haven't listened to that, please go listen to that. That's a critical podcast to listen to because literally the U.S. House of Representatives has already voted to make portions of Christian, Jewish, Muslim, and other religious practice illegal in the United States. And if you think I'm making that up, just go back and listen to that podcast because I'm not. And you ought to be calling your senators and saying, look, the so-called Equality Act isn't about equality. It's going to make certain people have an advantage over other people, and that's what we call discrimination. It, it, it's supposed to get rid of discrimination, but actually it creates other discrimination. And religious people, 97% of the population, people who are identify as heterosexual, are going to be put at a disadvantage if the so-called Equality Act goes through, and some of Christian practice is going to be declared illegal. So notice that the Equality Act here... The so-called Equality Act uses the term equality to try and get you to think it's a good thing. You see, immorality is always passed off as something moral. They use morality to pass off something that's immoral. Satan comes as an angel of light. Yeah, if, if the truth was really revealed about this and most reasonable people reasonable people heard about it they go this isn't about equality this is about inequality we can't have this but you pass it off as something good even when it's not now i'm not saying the people behind this bill think it's evil and they're trying to pass it off as evil they may actually think it's good i just think they're mistaken and i think if there's a standard beyond us and we had a debate i think i could show if they were open to the fact that there is a standard beyond them and they ought to adhere to that standard that the equality act is not good this is why when people say, by the way, that they have a particular right or they're fighting for a particular thing, I always want to stop and say, wait a minute, what's your standard? What standard are you arguing from? Because if there is no God, then nothing is objective. There is no objective standard. Everything's just a matter of opinion. So you're trying to impose your opinion on me. When they say to me, well, don't impose your morality on me. I say, well, look, this isn't my morality. I didn't make this stuff up. I didn't make up the fact that murder is wrong, that theft is wrong, that rape is wrong, that that abortion's wrong, that men were made for women and women were made for men, and that the reason the government's involved in marriage is not to recognize that two people have romantic affinity for one another. The government shouldn't care about that. The reason the government's involved in marriage is because it wants to perpetuate and stabilize society. That's the reason the government's involved in marriage. And the only 
relationship that can consistently perpetuate and stabilize society is the man-woman relationship because it's a procreative relationship that gives a mother and a father to a child. And mothers and fathers are different despite what people are claiming. There are differences between the biological genders, something that's now being denied incredibly by so many people on the left. There are men, there are women. In fact, you couldn't even transgender. You couldn't go from one gender to another unless there were these genders that were distinct. It would make no sense to say, if I'm a man, I want to become a woman. If you don't know what a man or what a woman is. So the whole movement is predicated on the idea that the genders do exist. So is homosexuality and heterosexuality. It's predicated on the fact that the genders are different. In any event, the point here is, is I didn't make any of this stuff up. I didn't make any of this. This isn't my morality. This just happens to be the morality. The one Thomas Jefferson said was self-evident. Now, if you don't like the morality, you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with the creator on whose nature this is based. Because I didn't make any of this up. It's just written on my heart because it comes from the nature of the creator. And it's written on your heart as well. And I think if you search your heart long enough, you'll realize that these things are true. In fact, you're arguing for certain moral principles. You're stealing them from God in order to even come up with these principles. You have a sense of justice. Why do you have a sense of justice? Because God is just. And if God doesn't exist, there is no justice or injustice. And we got more right after the break. This is Frank Turek. Crossexamine.org. Don't go away. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type Cross-Examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. Summer is a good time to take a uh, course and make yourself a better ambassador for Christ. You know, we have several online courses you can take Many basic courses, which you can take at your own pace anytime you want. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see them there. Right now, I'm in the middle of teaching a course on the essentials of Christianity. And in September, we're going to teach a live course. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. You can be a part of. We're going to uh, put that up here shortly so you can sign up for it if you want. But there's many courses you can take right at Reason U. If you go to crossexamine.org, click on uh Online courses, you'll see it there. Uh, courses from Gary Habermas, from Dan Wallace, from Craig Blomberg, from uh, Bobby Conway, from myself, from Jay Warner Wallace, Mike Adams. They're all up there. Check it all out. Uh, I want to go to some of the questions, though, you've uh, sent me over recent weeks. And I'm sorry I've been out and I haven't been able to get to many of these questions, but I want to try and get to one or two of them here in this last segment. Uh, if you want to send a question, it's hello at crossexamine.org. Hello at crossexamine.org. My friend Mike Edwards writes in and says, uh, theists claim that atheists believe the universe came from nothing. I find the argument they, the atheists, give back is that atheists don't say nothing. They, theists say uh, that we say that there's nothing. Uh, the, the atheists say that Planck time um, is as far back as we can go, you know, 10 to the minus 43 seconds uh, right after creation. We don't know anything beyond that. We don't have any peer reviewed stuff that says it comes from nothing. And Mike says, well, it sounds like wordplay to me. How would you handle this? 
Well, I, I know that Lawrence Krauss tried to say that nothing wasn't really nothing, but in fact, Lawrence Krauss is wrong about that. Uh, in fact, in the book Stealing from God, uh, my book Stealing from God, I deal with Lawrence Krauss's view on nothing. In fact, even atheists admit that when he tried to say that nothing was was really something, a quantum vacuum, they say, no, that's not true. <laughs> so you can read an article on the New York Times by... Uh, uh, Dr. David Albert, who happens to be an atheist himself, and he he takes Krauss to task. I quote the article in the book Stealing from God, and he says, look, Krauss's fund- fundamentalist uh, critics, meaning religious critics, are absolutely right. A quantum vacuum is not nothing, it's something. Well, who created the quantum vacuum? Uh, but anyway, here are some other thoughts you might have to point out that it is nothing. First, according to the second law of thermodynamics, matter or energy can't be eternal, because if matter and energy was eternal... Or let me put it this way. If, if the universe was eternal, if matter always existed, and you know matter can be converted to energy, E equals mc squared, Einstein's famous theory of general relativity. Um, if matter was eternal and energy was eternal, there'd be no energy left uh, due to this second law. And by the way, the second law is considered to be, or I should say thermodynamics is considered to be a closed science. In other words, people don't do research anymore to try and figure out, can we have a perpetual motion machine? No. Everybody understands in science now that, look, it's been pretty much settled that uh, things run down. And if things run down, then ultimately they're going to peter out and uh, there'll be no energy left. Well, if the universe was eternal, if matter was eternal, um, then there'd be no energy in the universe right now. But since there's energy in the universe, there must have been a beginning. And the beginning had to come out of nothing. It couldn't be pre-existing matter because pre-existing matter would still be subject to the second law of thermodynamics. Okay, the second point you might make is that Einstein equated matter and energy and discovered through general relativity that the universe, meaning space-time and energy, space-time, matter, energy, are correlative. You can't have one without the other. Equals mc squared. So Einstein knew back in about 1916 or so that, that the universe had a beginning. And when we say a beginning to the universe, all matter, space-time, all energy that we know about from the space-time continuum came into existence out of nothing. Not, not a pre-existing something, nothing. It seems that the only thing that could exist at that point was something that transcended space-time and matter. Because if space-time and matter had a beginning, then whatever created it must transcend space-time and matter. It must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, certainly powerful to create the universe out of nothing, uh, personal in order to choose to create, intelligent in, in order to make a choice as well. And we also know this being must be intelligent because of the fact that the universe is fine-tuned from the instant of creation. And only an intelligence can do that. It's something that requires immense design. Well, if that's the case, and Einstein's theory has been continually verified, then the universe did come from nothing. It wasn't pre-existing material. It was something. Also, the third point you might make... Uh, Let me back up. It was nothing, non-being. The only thing that could have existed would be a being like God, a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful being that created it. The third thing you might talk about is the Kalam argument, which shows that there had to be a beginning to time. Because if there were an infinite number of days before today, then today never would have arrived. Why? Because you'd always have to live another day before today. But since today is here, there can't be an infinite number of days before today. And if there can't be an infinite number of days before today, then time must have had a beginning. 
But since space, matter, and time are correlative, as Einstein found, if time had a beginning, so did matter. So did so did space. And so again, you're back to non-being. You're back to nothing. And finally, you might point out that the argument that Ed Fazer talks about in his book, uh, Five Proofs of the Existence of God, and the argument deals with composition. The argument from composition shows there has to be an uncomposed composer. Since matter is composed of parts, there has to be an ultimate being who is not composed of parts, who created and composed all created beings. Now, Fazer goes into great detail. We had, it, had him on the show a couple of years ago to talk about this, or a year and a half ago. I think it was December 2017. So you can go back and listen to the uh, the podcast there. And by the way, all the podcasts are on the app. They might not be up on iTunes because iTunes gives you so many before they start deleting the older ones, but they're on the app. And thank you, by the way, for going up to iTunes, the official cross-examined podcast and putting a positive review up there. It helps us get it to more people. We're going to try and merge the two podcasts here coming up. I know there's one uh, that the American Family Association puts out. It's got a black CE on it. And then the other one with my picture on it, uh, the one with my picture on it, we have more control to edit in the sense of making it sound better uh, due to uh, some post-production we can put on there. We can also put some more information on the podcast so you can read about it. Pretty soon we're going to have a transcript of every podcast up there. So if you like, uh, you can like both podcasts, but if you want to like just one or the other, go to the official one, and we're going to merge that with the uh, American Family Association one here soon. And uh, it, it'll all be in one place. But thank you for putting the positive review up there. Continue to do that. Now, you could probably also go to William Lane Craig's website on this question about nothing. Uh, his website, as you know, is reasonablefaith.org. He's somebody you ought to be listening to every week. I do. You ought to be listening, by the way, to Greg Kokel over there at Stand to Reason. He's my colleague at uh, CIA as well. And he puts out a great podcast, as does Jay Warner Wallace at Cold Case Christianity. He's a lot of podcasts to listen to, friends. I love also uh, Michael Heiser. I don't know if you guys have heard of Michael Heiser. I'm going to have him on the program soon, but his Naked Bible podcast is quite good. The folks, by the way, at the Bible Project are great as well. The Bible Project, the videos in the BibleProject.com go check those out, friends. They're really well done. In fact, Michael Heiser is a uh, advisor to some of their videos because Michael Heiser wrote the book Unseen Realm, which I'm listening to right now. Very interesting. And uh, he advises them on some of the uh, the videos, some of the theological content of the videos. There's a lot of places you can get answers to the questions that you ask here. Of course, you can email me if you want. Uh, uh, hello at crossexamined.org. And if I can uh, get to those emails, questions, I will. All right, let's see. Let me try and squeeze another one in here. Um, okay, Zachary asked the question. Hey there, I've, I have more of an evangelistic question for you. Uh, when I'm talking to my coworkers or friends who are not Christians, and I bring up the church or Christianity or God in general, most of the time they just dismiss the whole thing, and they have no interest in God at all. They say God may or may not exist, but they don't know, so they don't really care. I would like some advice on how to approach the topic of God, or even just to talk to these kinds of apathetic people about my faith. Thanks so much. I'm a big fan. You've helped me so much in my walk. Zachary, thanks, Zach. Thanks for that. You know, as I've said before, if I had the if I had the solution to apathy, I'd be a billionaire, certainly. And I'd, I'd try it. I'd, I'd, you know, I'd share it with every evangelist and everyone would get saved. But we, we can't. Some people just don't want it to be true. They don't care. What can you do for such people? You can love them and you can pray for them and you can just plant seeds every now and then. That's all you can do. They may not be ready now, but maybe at some point in the future they will be. Look, not everybody is at the same point of spiritual development. 
you listening to me right now, you probably didn't believe what you believe today, maybe 10 years ago. You were probably at a different place as well, weren't you? Well, don't expect everybody to be right where you are right now. I mean, I'm I'm glad you're interested in trying to bring people into Christianity. That's great. But don't get frustrated when people are apathetic or even hostile. A couple of questions you can ask, though, that I think are important. And uh, the first is, why are you not a Christian? Ask that question, because a lot of times people will give you an answer that doesn't strike at the heart of Christianity. You know, they'll say, well, there's too much evil in the world or something. Well, okay, we agree there's evil in the world. In fact, the whole Christian story is the answer to the problem of evil. Evil doesn't disprove God. It may prove there's a devil, but it doesn't disprove God. Christianity is the answer to evil. Or they might say, you know, well, Christians have been mean or the church has been evil. Or You might agree with all that. That doesn't disprove Christianity. It doesn't mean Christianity's false. And the second question is, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian and see what they say? Most people that I've asked that question to honestly say no. (laughs) So it's not a matter of evidence for them. You can give them all the evidence in the world. It's not a head problem. It's a heart problem. They don't want it to be true. They want to be God of their own lives and they want to do their own thing, which, of course, in a certain way is comforting. Why do I say comforting? Because it means that it's not God's fault they don't believe. It's their own. God has provided evidence, but they're not interested in it. They don't care. They want to do their own thing. So God is not immoral. God is provides everybody with the capacity to believe and enough evidence to believe. But a lot of people just want to do their own thing. They prefer living life they want to, the way they want to live life. Okay, well, that's what free will allows. Free will, we all have because the only way you could have love is with free will. Of course, free will allows the possibility for hate or rejection as well. And God gives everyone the opportunity to make their own choice. That's the only way we can have loving relationships anyway. All right, friends. Great being with you this week. A lot here in the podcast. I'll try to get to more of your questions next time. If you want to send us a question, hello at crossexamine.org. Hello at crossexamine.org. Don't forget uh, that we're coming out to San Diego, near San Diego, toward the end of this month to do Fearless Faith. Check our website for that, crossexamine.org. Me, Jay Warner Wallace, and Mike Adams. Hope to see you out there. God bless. See you next time. We hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. If you think our podcast needs to reach more people, here's what you can do to help. Go to iTunes and type cross-examined official podcast, four words in the search bar, and leave us a five-star rating. It'll take you less than five seconds. And if you have a few more seconds to spare, leave us a positive review. The best reviews will be featured on future episodes. You can also listen on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. God bless.